You're listening to the Morphology Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Morphology Podcast, aka Murph here to share interviews about biking experiences from cyclists who have pedaled to places all over. Each week, we'll get to know new people and explore new destinations to ride your bike. As you listen to these adventures, you may wonder, why haven't I done that yet? Michael O'Brien is on the show today. Back in July 2001, Michael experienced what he calls his last bad day when he was hit head-on by a motorist while riding his bike. This day changed his life, his outlook, and even his identity. The road to recovery was a long one. Michael realized he had to heal his mind if he wanted to get his body healed. That's when he made the decision to call that terrible day back in July 2001 his last bad day. He has continued to live his life with this decision, and today he's a leadership coach as well as a mindfulness and meditation teacher. He healed, he got back on the bike, and last year he rode his bike 3,600 miles across the United States experiencing all that our country has to offer. He named his ride the Rise to Ripple Challenge and shared daily recaps that you can still find on his website, which is michaelobrienshift.com. So here's my interview with Michael. All right, I would like to welcome Michael to the podcast. Hey, Michael. Hey, Kathy. How are you doing? Good. Glad to have you on. Um, you have an incredible story to share with the listeners, as well as some pretty cool things that have come from your story. So uh, should we get right to it? Yeah, let's, I guess, um, as we would say, let's clip in and like start pedaling. Oh, right? clip in and start pedaling. Okay, so before I spill the beans on what um, we're going to talk about, where do you live? Right now, we live in New Jersey, right outside of New York City, oh. which is actually not a bad place to ride your bike. You know, you think about New York City and Jersey, you really don't think about cycling. Right. But it's actually not bad. We live right in the northeast corner, so I can ride along the Hudson and into New York State. And so we've been here for a long time. I went to school in Virginia, grew up in Rochester, New York. Oh, and okay. Now now we're here. Yeah. So this is where this is where home is. I my only experience in actual New York would be in New York City when I did the five boroughs ride. And uh it was a crazy bike ride because I did it with thirty five thousand people, but um there was no vehicular traffic because they had closed down all the streets so I don't have a good feel for what New York City pedaling is really like yeah no that is one heck of a ride yes. it's totally totally wackadoo uh like it's crazy in, yeah. a, in a really cool way there's bikes own the streets but riding in New York City has improved a whole bunch over the last two decades it's it's really quite I, I'd say it's nice in a very urban way yeah it, it, it's not like riding across iowa or riding across other places in this country but in its own way it's cool that you can pedal through manhattan and we do something that is a little crazy we do this thing called the broadway bomb which mm. you start at times square 
and if you hit the hit it just right, you can catch most of the lights all the way down to the Holland Tunnel. So, which is sort of a cool thing to do. It's 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 fast, and it's very New Yorkish, you know, because it's all <laughs> adrenaline. Right. Um, and we we try to do it in a very safe way, just to give all the listeners peace of mind. But it's yeah, New York is a really cool place to ride. You have Central Park, you have Prospect Park, um, but most of my riding is in New Jersey and then in into New York State mm-hmm. uh, as we get closer to Bear Mountain and places like that. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's absolutely gorgeous, especially during the fall. And there's what New York has done is they've created New York State. That is, they've created this wonderful Empire Trail, so you can you can ride your bike on a trail from Manhattan all the way up to Albany, and then connect with the Erie Canal and ride that over to Buffalo, mm-hmm. or you can go Albany all the way up north to the Canadian border. And so oh, wow. that, that I know we're going to talk about like rides for me in the future. Yeah. That is something on my to-do list this summer is to ride from New York city over to Buffalo and then back again. And then depending on how much time I have, I might ride up to Canada and mm. back. So I can't, I can't wait to do this. This is one of the rides I've been wanting to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom loved riding on the Erie canal. So in a lot of ways it's, it's in memory of her. So that is something I'm totally looking forward to. And it's really cool to see so many states really getting into building better bike trails so we can get off the road. And, and there's something about the sound of gravel and just being out in nature. That's, you know, it's just a special part of cycling, which I I just love. So uh, I can't wait to do that ride. I agree. And I have the empire state trail, on my list as well. Um, I don't think I'll accomplish it in 2023, but I've heard really good things about it. Well, once I get it done yeah, this summer, I'll, I'll... I will definitely, <laughs> I'll pop you a note and I'll give you some tips if I have any tips. There you go, yeah. Uh, and places to stop and good places to eat and fuel up and all that good stuff like that. So yeah, that is definitely one for the for my riding list this summer. Perfect. Okay, so let's go back to 2001, and I think from what I read, it was July 2001, you experienced what you call your last bad day, and this is quite a story, so everyone buckle up, and uh, do you want to tell us about that day? Yeah, I would be happy to, so yeah, so July 11th, 2001, I went out to New Mexico, had never been. So one of my goals is to ride in every one of our 50 states. And New Mexico had not yet been conquered. So I was like, okay, company meeting. Most of my fellow coworkers were bringing their golf clubs. And I was like, I'm bringing my bike. I'm going to ride in New Mexico. I was also training for an event. So I was like, okay, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. Bring my bike out, ride in the morning. Well, the morning of July 11th, I came around a bend and so did a Ford Explorer going the opposite way. He had crossed over into my lane. He was traveling around 40 miles an hour and hit me head on. Mm. I had no time to react. Uh, and I went like into his grill, which I remember that sound. Also the sound of me going into his windshield. Mm. I still can recall the screech of his brakes and 
that knocked me unconscious. And when I regained consciousness, I was surrounded by EMT, uh, ambulance, fire, police. And so this is a question that I know the listeners will totally appreciate because this is a cycling related question Mm -hmm. that I asked the EMT. I was like, hey, how's my bike? (laughs) You did not. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Yeah, I like literally did. I was like, and I was sort of groggy and, and and I could tell also I could feel how serious everything was right. when I did regain consciousness. I knew I was this was not a good place to be. And I was really trying to use humor to cut tension, which was sort of my thing to do. Right. And they're like, Your bike's fine, which they totally <laughs> lied. The right. bike was not fine. I saw um, pictures it, of the uh, accident yeah, site yeah. and your bike was far from fine. Yeah, it's not fine at all. Uh, and they just told me to breathe. And I was like, okay, well, that's that's easier said than done in this moment. Oh, they flew me to Albuquerque. That was the only trauma one center in the state. First surgery took about 12 hours. Uh, when my wife arrived with our youngest daughter, she was only seven months old at the time, mm. they told her, hey, your husband's been in a very bad accident. We did the best we could. The next 72 hours are going to be critical. They later went on to tell her, had your husband not been healthy, or if he was 10 years older, he probably would have died before he got here. Oh, man. Um, Because my injuries were so significant. I broke a whole bunch of everything, but the big life and death injury was when the left femur shattered, it lacerated the femoral artery. So I was losing a whole bunch of blood. Mm. And the first four days, four and a half days, I was in the ICU, which I don't remember anything at all. And then I came out of the ICU and the doctors told me about the accident and driver had a revoked license. He should not have been driving that day, but he was. And I, what I remember about it is when they put me on the helicopter to take me to the trauma center, I told myself, if I survive, you know, I was promising to whomever was listening, I'll stop chasing happiness because I was sort of like this chasing happiness kind of guy, you know, corporate stuff. I mean, we see it a lot nowadays. I think it's worse nowadays than it was back in 2001 because back then there was no social media. Sure. And I was just trying to bargain again with whomever was listening to say, I, I want to live, uh, but I, I want to live differently. Mm-hmm. And when the doctors started telling me about the extent of my injuries and the prognosis, they're like, listen, you're going to have a life of dependency. You're probably not going to walk well again. You're probably never going to get back on your bike. Uh, and they went on and on. And I was like, okay, um, forget about chasing happiness. I couldn't even spell happy at that time. I was so... I was so distressed and distraught and angry. Yeah, it had to have been frustrated. a super dark uh, time in your life. Super dark. But I was trying to put on this brave face like, hey, I got this. But I did not believe the lie I was projecting. I was like, mm-hmm. what am I going to what will I do? You know, my life was sort of defined from a, an identity perspective of being an athlete. I love cycling. You know, I, I was, yeah, I was just blown away. I was like, if I can't be who I was, cyclist, dad, business leader, all that jazz, husband, like, who will I be? 
and I stayed in this dark place for quite some time. And then a mentor shared with me after they patched me up in New Mexico, they brought me back to New Jersey where I had more surgeries. A mentor shared with me, hey, Michael, everything is neutral until you label it. Mm. And I was like, huh? He was like, everything is neutral until you label it. Like this event that happened to you, to be honest, neutral, you get to pick the label. You get to choose if you want to be a victim or you can choose to be something else, to look at this maybe differently. Wow, what instead an interesting that, perspective. Yeah, yeah, instead of thinking this happened to you, maybe it happened for you. Mm. And I'll tell you, Kathy, at first I was like, this is some type of Yoda, Jedi <laughs> mindset trick. I was having none of it. I was like, you're crazy. Like, get out of my hospital room. I, I'm mad and I want to be mad. And I just sat with that, though. I trusted him enough to say, well, I'll contemplate it. So I kicked it around in my head and then I realized you know what, I really had to heal my mind in order to heal my body. And that's when I decided that I was going to make that day, label that day, my last bad day. Mm. Because what I knew is that that was a horrific moment. But I still had so many wonderful people in my life. I still had my wife. I still had my daughters. I still had a life. Mm -hmm. So I made a determination that that was going to be my last bad day, which doesn't mean I haven't had bad moments. I have since that time or angry moments or sad moments and all that jazz, but I couldn't throw a whole day away and call it bad. Mm. Even the most difficult of days, because if my head's hitting the pillow and my girls and my wife are in my life, then that's something to be really grateful for right. that I can't call the whole day a bad one. And that's the meaning of my last bad day. And eventually I got back on the bike. Um, and the first, here's the crazy thing about it. So I got back on the bike about 13 months after my accident. And the first vehicle that passed me was a Ford white expedition. No. So, yeah, so it was like, so I got hit by a white Ford Explorer. And so I'm riding on this road. I was doing laps around this industrial park with no traffic. And after a while, I was like, well, let me try to get on the road. And I got on the road. And I'm riding like 50 feet down the road. And I could feel like this, you know, as we do, we can feel traffic behind us, the vibration. And I looked behind and it was like this big Ford white thing coming at me and it was flying. And I'm like, really, universe? Like, this is the test? Like, you couldn't send me like a little Volkswagen bug or like a smart car or a moped. You send me this big monster truck, same color, but a bigger version. And I grabbed the handlebars, white knuckled them. I held my breath. I think I closed my eyes, which I do not recommend. Right. And it passed me. And I was like, ah. And I exhaled. And I was like, okay, we're going to be able to get this done. And, and then I just started, you know, thinking about riding just a little bit further, you know, riding maybe a little bit faster. Keep in mind, I was going very, very slowly and very short distances. I had a leg length difference 
problem. Like the leg wasn't straight. It wasn't bending right. A whole bunch of a whole bunch. But I made this determination that I was going to take small little steps, small little pedal strokes, if you will, and weave them together over time. And eventually I got back to riding centuries and even racing my bike again. And, you know, last year rode across the country. I'm speechless as far as, you know, this impact happened and the paramedics or the, you know, emergency people are telling your wife this, this might be it to 13. I'm sure they were very long in your world, but 13 short months later and you are back on a bike. Yeah, it was, it was one of those moments where my physical therapist totally pressed my buttons. So there was a moment during a rehab session where she was like, listen, you got to get back on your bike. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not ready yet. Right. Cause I actually enjoyed going to rehab cause it was like supervised workout. Like I had my own personal trainer and I was like, oh yeah, this is good. And she was like, no, you got to get on the bike. I go, yeah, yeah, I will. I will. She goes, no, if you don't get on the bike, you can't come back. Oh. And I was like, what? I was like, <laughs> I can, I'm the patient. I have healthcare. I'm like, I can come back anytime I want. She's like, no, I'm not going to treat you until you get back on the bike outside. And I, I remember driving home. I got home and I vented to my wife. I'm like, I can't believe she said that. That's so wrong. She's so mean. <laughs> da, 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 da. And then my wife looked at me and she was like, so when are, when are you going to get back on the bike? And I said, well, tomorrow. And <laughs> so, Maybe. Um, <laughs> so, and she was like, okay. And so, but that was it. Cause Laura knew, I had to break through that barrier. Right. And, and and again, that first ride was really wonky and choppy. I was all like, I didn't have my balance. It was awkward, but, but boy, did it feel good. Right. I was like, all right. Okay. Like, all right, cool. Like this is, this is a big moment. And, and it was, it was the start. Like most things, you know, we're, we can be really scared could start something and you just need that first pedal stroke. And the thing about it was I wasn't scared about riding in traffic. My feeling was like if the universe or mother nature or God or whomever was going to send me another vehicle, then, okay, you know, we all eventually pass away. We, you know, when your number's called, that was sort of my thinking back then. Hmm. What I was really scared about was seeing how far, I had to go to get back to quote unquote normal for right. me. It, like almost like when you're on a diet and you're weighing yourself on the scale, it's like you want to get on the scale, but you don't want to get on the scale. Cause you're like, no, no, I've lost weight. My jeans feel looser, but they only feel looser because you haven't washed them in three weeks. Right. <laughs> that, that type of thing. So you're like, I, 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 I've lost 10 pounds. I, I don't need to get on the scale. I know. And for me, riding outside for the first time after 13 months was my version of getting on the scale because mm-hmm. it was going to be really clear how much further I had to go to feel like I had recovered. And I did not want to see that because I wanted to believe I was much further along than I was. Right. You know, I still had so much um so much cycling, so much rehab in front of me and more surgeries. I've lost count on how many surgeries I've had, but the whole experience 
changed me as a person, as anyone can imagine. Mm-hmm. A completely different outlook on life. I have stopped chasing my happiness. And I will say this, I do not take any one of my bike rides for granted anymore. Like, oh, sure. give, give me bad weather, give me bad conditions. I can find something good about every ride. Um, so uh, my love for our sport grew exponentially through the whole thing. Hmm. And, um, you know, like you said, after 13 months, you know, you made uh, baby steps getting back on the bike and then you you just barely covered it. But you said, you know, you're doing century rides again, you're racing. And then the big one, which I think is how we connected, was you rode your bike across the United States. Yeah, and on a total knee replacement. So here's the wild thing. When the doctor first told me about my prognosis, the dependency, all that jazz, they also added in five years, so that would have been 2006, both knees are going to have to be replaced. Mm. And I'm thinking, I'm just 33 years old. Like two knee replacements that before you're 40, like, that was something that you didn't really hear of. And I was like, well, what's that going to look like? Well, my right one is still the original equipment, no knee replacement, but my left leg, that was the one, both legs got broken pretty badly, but the left one took a lot of damage. Uh, That one 20 years in uh, was like, it's time to get replaced. So I originally had scheduled this for uh, 20 21 to celebrate 20 years since my last bad day Mm -hmm. but the knee was not going to go on the trip they're like i can't make it like you gotta find someone else so (laughs) we did the knee replacement and then the next year uh, last year 2022 i did it with a total knee replacement in my left leg that was less than a year old so uh, but this was something that i had always wanted to do from the moment I fell in love with the bike, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And I'm old enough to appreciate the bicentennial and then the bike centennial, the Trans-American Trail that goes across the country. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's pretty cool. My wife had this desire, too, to RV across the country. Oh. And with COVID and everything, we're like, you know what? Let's do this. I'm going to ride. You're going to drive. We'll have our two dogs. And we'll make a trip of it. And so um, that was that was our ride across the country last year. I called it the Rise to Ripple Challenge. Mm-hmm. A rise speaks to resilience. You know, once you fall down, you got to get back up again. The two is the symbolism of a bridge to something new. And the whole idea of ripple is about energy, sort of like a stone being skipped on a pond. That those rings, you know, rippling out mm-hmm. are all energy. And I wanted to put a nice ripple out into the world and give people, my friends and so forth and so on, something to follow and take maybe their mind off of all the craziness in the world. So that's why we called it the Rise to Ripple Challenge. I love it. Rise to Ripple Challenge. And your challenge you chose was to ride all the way across the United States and I think from what I read, you started in Oregon and ended in Virginia. Is that right? Well, so that was the original plan. So we started in Astoria, Oregon. So we were going to take the Trans-American Trail mm-hmm. 
mapped out by the Adventure Cycling Association. And so that would have placed us in Yorktown, Virginia, but Wyoming, we rerouted the second half of the trip and we ended up finishing in Washington, D.C., oh, cool. where my wife and I met. And so when I, when I planned the trip, I was like, okay, the Transamerica Trail, this is going to be it. This is the quintessential route. Of course, there's the southern route across the country. So I was going to do like this big one. And as I was doing research and following people's blogs and doing YouTube video searches, I kept on hearing people talk about the wild dogs of Kentucky. Mm. And I was like, ah, they're probably just exaggerating for effect to get views and readership and the whole thing. So as we're riding across, we saw people going east to west. They would ask me, like, what's left on my trip? And I would ask them, well, what should I anticipate? And eventually we always got to tell me about Kentucky. And they're like, oh, I avoided Kentucky. Or one couple in Rawlings, Wyoming said, oh, we got chased all the time. And they went on and on how crazy it was. And I looked at my wife and I looked at them. And then that night we went back to our RV and I rerouted the total trip to avoid Kentucky because I have... Oh. I have like um, early childhood bad memories of sure. being chased by dogs. Right. And I was like, I don't want to do that. So what was really cool about the reroute is it gave us a chance to ride the Katy Trail through Missouri. Oh, yes. And then it took us up into Pittsburgh. So I did the, the Gap mm -hmm. and then I also did the C&O. Mm -hmm. So I got to ride some of the iconic rails to trails in this country. And then we got to finish up right the Lincoln Memorial. Again, we met in DC. So the whole reroute was a little bit of work because we had to reroute the whole second half of the trip. But it was it was so fitting. And I my time on the Katy Trail was just amazing. And you know, riding through Pennsylvania and Maryland from mm -hmm. Pittsburgh to DC was terrific. It it just made for such a great experience. I still got chased by dogs. <laughs> Um, so it didn't, it didn't prevent that from happening, but it didn't have to worry about all the wild dogs of Kentucky. And so they will for, be forever in my mind as legendary beasts. Um, <laughs> I don't know if they're, that's true or not, but in my mind, they were ferocious right. and they wanted to attack me. And that's my story. And I'm sticking with it. They wanted that brand new knee. They wanted yes, to absolutely. take it they for their own. Yeah, they wanted to do a little gnawing. They wanted a bone <laughs> to sink their teeth into. Um, so, yeah, so we went from Astoria, Oregon to Washington, D.C., and it ended up being a little bit over 3,600 miles oh, okay. and 41 days of riding. So I average about 87 miles a day. That's significant mileage for that many days. It was, and that's why, like, having – a milkshake every night. So we did something called uh, milkshakes with Michael and I would go on Instagram and just update people because oh, they were fun. following along. And a lot of people were really worried about my safety. And I think anyone listening, if, if you have non-cycling friends, they're always worried about our safety because mm -hmm. they know how distracted drivers can be. So each day we got, when we got to our new city, we'd find a dairy or we'd make one ourselves in our RV and we'd have a milkshake every day. So, 
So we put in a lot of miles, but that milkshake every night tasted so good. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So it was like guilt-free ice cream. Yeah. Um, I, I, I can't keep that habit up <laughs> once we got back because I wasn't riding as much. But uh, while we did the trip, it was definitely delicious. Yeah, that sounds actually really, really good. And and for me, ice cream and milkshakes like are the best after like a hot, strenuous day. So I'm I'm picturing you getting back to the RV, and everyone's you know excited to see you. And then time for a milkshake. Time for a milkshake, and it was, you know, we went to different dairy bars, and um, and you know sometimes we went into towns that didn't have an ice cream store, so we had to go you know, down to the grocery store, we bought a gallon of briars or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we brought our blender. So we would mix one up right in the RV. And, but it was a really cool way to interact with the local people in each town and to see how the flavors changed. Like while we were in Montana, huckleberry milkshakes were a big thing. Mm. Um, and then, you know, the flavors sort of changed as we went from west to east it was it was pretty cool and my wife's big thing so i did the milkshake so i had to find an ice cream shop and her big thing was her morning latte so she was looking for a coffee, oh, coffee shop shops, so yeah. so so we know like all the good coffee shops and all the good dairies across the country for anyone doing that route you know in the future that should be a blog in itself yeah it was yeah it was <laughs> really cool like i you know, we were telling up like what flavors we, you know, of I was having and people were offering recommendations. It was it was actually one of the one of the real bright spots of the trip, just like having fun, like, OK, what what flavor milkshake do you have tonight? It was it was, it was so good. It was so good. So yummy. Wow. So in addition to the physical miles, which was epic on its own. Just like I can just feel the energy of having, you know, your spouse along, the dogs and the RV and the Instagram lives. Like it just feels like a really uh, pleasant experience all the way around. It was so much fun. Like it really, it was cool for us to do it as, you know, a shared experience, you know, because we basically had the same route, but I would wake up each morning, I would get on the road and then my wife would meet me you know about 70 miles in or maybe at our rv camp mm -hmm. so even though we were doing like this a similar route like our experience in the ride was completely different like she saw things that i didn't see right. and vice versa and sometimes we saw the same things so that was that was really cool just and then coming together after it was all said and done for the day and saying okay what did you what did you see here's mm -hmm. what i saw and she was doing her own Instagram blog. And so it was really cool just to experience the country and to meet the wonderful people in our country, but coming at it from completely different perspectives. But again, with, with some overlap and, you know, it was really funny meeting people. They're like, what are you doing? You, you know, <laughs> you're riding where, why would you want to do that? Um, so I had those reactions and I had people who were, um, you know, honking their horns in a good way, cheering me on, you know, some cowbells that I heard. And really, I didn't have hardly any drivers that were jerky, you know, mm -hmm. like I had a couple of trucks that passed way too close 
going way too fast. Only a couple cars, you know, wanted me to get off the road. So considering how long I rode uh, and how many cars did pass me, mm-hmm. it was really like such an enjoyable trip. I, we have a beautiful country. There were some moments where I would just stop the bike and just experience awe, just the beauty of our country. It was really so spectacular. Um, and we rode through all types of weather, you know, mother nature threw everything at us except tornadoes and snow, but everything else came our way. And, you know, I, that's one of the things I come away with on this trip is just one, how big our country is, mm-hmm. how beautiful it is. And, you know, we shouldn't take it for granted. And, you know, we, you know, I know we all feel somewhat divided, you know, in current times, but I generally believe people are good. And I met so many good people mm-hmm. uh, along the way that, you know, we might look at the world a little bit differently because we live in different places, but we, we have good hearts. And I, I experienced a lot of that during the journey. And I, um, to piggyback on that, you know, I did the Southern tier across America last year. Yeah. And I would say the exact same thing um, when you refer to both the people and the country. I mean, every day was new terrain, new things that I didn't even know existed in the United States. But then also, same answer I would give about traffic and cars and people most of the time, people were genuinely good. Traffic was good. Uh, of course, people did the same thing to me. Like, what that? Why are you doing this? Like, where? Yeah. Where are you going? But for the most part, it was just amazing. And and that uh, kind of segues to my next question, which you know, as you went across the United States, the ice cream flavors and the popularity changed. You know, like you mentioned. But did you also see that in the people in the country as you? went across it as far as, you know, probably still all good people, but did you see significant changes? I saw some, you know, certainly demographically, we saw differences and the route really takes you through rural America, Mm -hmm. you know, in living, like I'm a East coast guy, you know, living in New Jersey outside of New York city and then living in DC. And so it was really cool just to, you know, see where different people live, like riding through Wyoming and Montana, you know, there were no homes for right. a long stretch of like, it was just cattle and no mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So the people, and obviously politically, um, you know, each, each area was a little bit different, uh, you know, as we went West to East, but generally people were really friendly. You know, we went, rode through some, really a bougie, richy, rich areas of the country uh, in some areas of the country that had just been forgotten. And when you're out in the middle of nowhere and your town has seen better days, it's, I think what I came away with is just an appreciation of, you know, are we taking the time to really hear and see and appreciate each other? And I think in many cases, we're not. Um, mm-hmm. We also experienced just the indigenous people, uh, uh, American Indians, as we rode across the country, you know, just, you know, just that history. And I'll be honest, you know, my schooling in that uh, was not significant enough. And so I learned a lot about just 
how we created this country and the migration from east to west and what happened and some of the horrific battles and you know the tr the trauma that some of the nation deals with because mm -hmm. of how our country was created and so i think there's there were so many valuable lessons a lot of history we went to Sacagawea's gravesite, mm. um, and which was really fascinating. Obviously, you know, there's probably no Lewis and Clark without Sacagawea, but her grave was beautiful, but it was not marked. And in fact, it was misspelled and oh, wow. it was in the middle of like, like almost nowhere. Right. And so, so here is someone who is fundamental, essential to American history, but didn't have like the type of um, markings or uh, um, it, it, like her, her grave site wasn't highlighted, but mm -hmm. you know, you would, you would see uh, another leader, right. And another political figure with a whole bunch of signage and like, come visit, like, you know, this fallen leader and it was just, you know, just different perspectives and, and different ways of bringing attention to, uh, the people who helped create the nation. And there was, you know, it was, it wasn't equal. Um, I guess I'll say it that way. And yeah. uh, so there some like beautiful, yeah, just beautiful lessons in history, important lessons in history. But I think for the most part, you know, the people we met, yeah, different sensibilities as far as what mattered, um, different ways of looking at the world. But I think deep down inside, everyone cared about each other. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is something to take away. And I also feel that there's a lot of just pain in the country, right? There's a lot of, you know, a lot of towns, again, that the factories have dried up, the jobs have dried up, and there's hurt there and there's pain. And there's a quote that I often reference during the trip is, that anger is when pain makes a public appearance. Mm. And so the anger we feel in some parts of our country, I think originates from a place of pain that people feel because how they once lived or what they thought, you know, their town would be has changed significantly. Right. And so there's some pain with that thing, especially when it comes to the manufacturing belt of this country and how, jobs have left America and gone to other places. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw a lot of the exact same thing that you um, spoke about. And it is, it really, uh, you know, I guess when you're on your bike, what else do you have to do except to look around and um, just really, you have the freedom to just think about all of that and kind of wonder, A, how it happened, why it is the way it is, and maybe what you can do about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I didn't listen unless I was on a bike trail. I didn't listen to music or a podcast. You know, I wanted to keep my ears open mm -hmm. to hear traffic. And so you had a lot of time to contemplate, like I would ride through some towns. I'm like, how did this become a town? Right. Like, like what was, what was their origin story? Like what was the history? So each night we didn't do it with every town, but we, we went to the internet and looked up Wikipedia and tried to find the town history. And, you know, even like we joked when we got to Kansas, it was like 115 degrees. And we joked like when people were coming from East to West and they reached Kansas, 
which can be really cold in the winter, mm -hmm. but obviously super hot in the summer. Like who decided to stop here? Like, <laughs> like, like I, I'd be like, we got to keep going. Cause we can't, we can't like, we can't handle this. Like <laughs> at, at night it was like 110 and I was, and we we're like, this is nuts. Um, so my feeling was if you lived in Kansas back then, when you were going, you know, westward migration, it was like, we gotta, we gotta move. We gotta keep moving to, there's gotta be another place around here that's cooler than this. Uh, but yeah, we just were so fascinated with like, how did this become a town? And many towns were, were on rivers. And mm -hmm. so that made sense because water is so important to move things around back in the day. But a lot of towns were just, they popped up in the middle of nowhere, it seemed like. And it's like, wow, like who came here? Like, and like who's still here? Right. You know, we went through one town, their population was 39. Um, and that was based on the last census. So 39 people. It's like, wow, like what will this town be like? in another 20, 30 years. Right. Uh, so like all that history, uh, the trip was so fantastic uh, to help us, really help us enhance our history of this country, which is certainly not as good as it could be. Yeah, I love the idea of, you know, as you're winding down for the day to literally research the actual place you're in or the place you were that day. That's, I love that idea. Yeah, we really had um, a lot of fun with it. Again, we didn't do every town, but there were some towns like we we're like, like what, like what's going on here? Like, what, <laughs> how, like how did this start? And, and there's so many towns where it's like fascinating history of, you know, they started out being like X Y Z town and they changed their name and just oh, yeah. the infighting and like and just the, the companies that came in and the companies that left. Um, it, it was, I was like, whoa, that's wild. And, and you saw towns that clearly were remaking themselves or re-imaging themselves. You know, Pittsburgh, I think is a great example, you know, for the longest time was steel and coal. And now they have a lot of vibrant, like technology and, and medicine and healthcare. So you saw a lot of that in smaller towns as well, just like we once were known as this, and now we're trying to reshape mm -hmm. and revitalize. And that was really cool. And then there were towns that clearly had come upon some tough times, and they just haven't shown the gumption yet to remake themselves. Right. You know, they they were lost, and there was nothing there. And uh, so, yeah, it was so, so fascinating. Um I think everyone's trying to like strive for status, you know, like you know, people that were in middle-class towns, like trying to improve the status of their town, but even people like in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is one of the more expensive towns in this country, I saw people desperately clinging to their status mm, too. And it's sure. just that human desire of like, where am I in the pecking order of all this thing? Mm -hmm. And then it's not, it's not something that uh, one state or one particular person worries about. It's something that so many people have on their minds. Like, what's my status within my group? Um, and making sure that their status at minimum stays the same. And a whole bunch of people want their status to improve. So I saw, I saw a lot of that as well. Yeah, it's, um, it's hard to put into words 
how you can see, uh, I'll say the world, but, you know, as you go across the United States, what you see by the seat of a bicycle versus, you know, I guess your wife probably would say she saw a lot of amazing things too, you know, through the RV window, but man, on a bike, there's just so much. So much. It, and cause you're going obviously at a slower pace, mm-hmm. but yeah, my wife, she saw a whole bunch of things. Like she, she saw flight 93 in Pittsburgh, the, memor- the memorial there. Mm. Like my route didn't take me past that, but the way she was driving, she saw that. And that was really meaningful because that's a big part of our 9-11 history mm-hmm. in this country. But, yeah, just so many things. And also just meeting the our fellow cyclists on the road going in different directions. And I would ask each one I saw, I was like, hey, why are you doing this? Like, what, what made you think that riding your bike across the country was a good idea? <laughs> and I love their answers. You know, I met one guy who was 75 coming out of Eugene, Oregon, and he had a recumbent bike. So he's pretty low to the, low to the ground and wasn't going terribly fast. He's like, I just love adventure. And it was going to take him most likely 120 days to do the whole country oh at his pace. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I saw couples doing it, saw people doing it for charities, for different causes. And everyone had their own reason. I saw people from Europe doing it. Uh, Australia. It was, that was cool. It was this, you know, this language that we could speak with each other about what it meant to be an endurance cyclist, a touring cyclist, and an appreciation of like, hey, we get to see things from a different perspective than all these drivers. And how cool is that? Mm-hmm. We talked about Rise to Ripple at the beginning, you know, when you started telling your story. Do you have a place? where people could go and kind of see what your bike across America was like? Yeah. So probably the, my YouTube channel, which we could probably link yeah, or my website, which is michaelobrienshift.com. So I would do a video each day and then we did like a summary video uh, that they can watch and just check it out. But yeah, it was, uh, that was really cool to do. Like I would have my GoPro on and my iPhone and we would talk about the milkshakes, but we also, I also talked about what we saw and in all different conditions, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we were super cold, super hot. Our country is definitely very windy. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big believer in wind power now. Like, like we got to harness all this wind for something good. Uh, but yeah, so I'd say probably going to michaelobrienshift.com is a good place to find my YouTube uh, videos and, and watch them there. Yeah. Cool. And while you're talking about your website, do you want to tell us all the other good stuff that you can find on that website? Yeah. So I do a weekly blog where I share just different, you know, thinkings about what's happening in the world. Um, by profession, I'm a leadership coach and speaker. Mm-hmm. I also have a meditation and gratitude app. I'm also a meditation teacher. So I have something called pause, breathe, reflect. And I have meditations on that for us cyclists. So I have oh, a few cool. cycling related meditations. I did obviously a lot of meditation and mindfulness uh, 
while I was going on my trip that helped me keep like physically and mentally strong. So you can find a whole bunch there, but I would say, yeah, my weekly blog, as well as information about the app and all the really cool fitness and cycling related meditation tracks that I have. Was meditation an important part of your life before your accident? Or was it something that came about because of just recovery and being mindful of how important that last bad day was? So before my accident, I knew nothing about it, except ah. except this. I knew enough about it to judge the people who were doing it. <laughs> I was like, this is crazy. You're sitting there with your breath, like eating your grape nuts and granola. And like, this is, this is crazy. I ain't doing this stuff. And keep in mind, as an athlete, I knew how important the breath is. Right. Right. You know, so... I knew the breath was super important, a really great tool on our Swiss army knife that we carry around with us. But this whole like sitting and cross-legged and humming and stuff like that, I was like, I ain't doing any of that. But through my recovery, I knew I had to heal my mind, to heal my body. And that's when I started doing breath work and got into meditation and started studying it and the value of it mm -hmm. to say how how vital the breath was not only in sport but also you know giving your voice volume right as we speak but also helping us heal helping us deregulate things when it gets stressful and certainly my situation was uber stressful so i started learning it like almost like my recovery back to riding bit by bit, day by day, wow. uh, breath by breath, if you will. And then I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is actually working, you know, over time. And then I got inspired to continue my studies and became a meditation teacher. And I think this moment in time with the pandemic and all the craziness in the world, I think it really calls for us to be more mindful, to be more intentional mm -hmm. and purposeful on how we're living, we're, we're super stressed. And I think because of how stressed we are, especially in the US, I think our experience with COVID uh, was different than a lot of other countries. And my hope is that through pause, breathe, reflect, I can help people stress less. And the practices I do are short. So a lot of people tell me, I don't have time for all this. Like this, I don't have time to meditate for 20 minutes a day. I'm too busy. And my feeling is like, okay, I bet you don't have 20 minutes. That's cool. I totally will meet you where you're at, mm -hmm. but I bet you have 20 times during the course of the day where you have a minute, oh, you know, in yeah. between me, me. So on the app, there's a whole bunch of like shorter one minute, two minute practices just to say, okay, slow down, catch your breath and be intentional about what you want to do next. Um, and that's the main goal of it. It's just like, let's just slow down and catch our breath. Uh, we know as cyclists that the slower we go, the more we hear, the more we see. And I feel like as a planet, especially as a country in the U.S., we're going way too fast. And too fast to see and hear and appreciate each other. And if we could just slow down a little bit, mm -hmm. I think we would, I think we could come together in a way that would be meaningful and helpful.
I love it. And I'll put this in the show notes, but will you tell us again the name of that app? Yes, it's Pause, Breathe, Reflect. Excellent. PBR for short, which does not stand for the PBR <laughs> that some people might be thinking about right. at this moment in time. Right. But when I was recovering in a hospital, I I tell people, yeah, I need to grab a PBR. And everyone's like, aha, that's funny. I'm like, yeah, okay. And so I never told them I was just really meditating because <laughs> back in 2001, it's it's more accepted now as a practice. But back in 2001, most people I knew had the opinion of me- meditation and mindfulness that I had. Like, right. oh, that's crazy. And I, I didn't want to let them know that I went soft. But what I found is that it actually does such a great job in helping us enhance our awareness and sharpen our focus. And what I realized over the years is how many athletes meditate, how many leaders meditate to help them become stronger and not softer. Mm-hmm. Well, what is next for you, Michael? Well, I'm off to my orca here in a few weeks with a few of my cycling friends to ride uh, on the island off the coast of Spain. So Ooh. I can't wait for that. And I'm going to do, as I mentioned earlier, the Empire State Trail, mm-hmm. New York to Buffalo and back. And I'm going to do the ride across Iowa. So um, it's 50 year anniversary. And I was like, I am, I want some corn. I want some <laughs> pie. I want some refined carbohydrates. I go. want, I want, so I can't wait to do that. So those are some of the big events I have so far this year. And we'll see what the rest of the season, you know, how it unfolds. But I'll probably do a lot of gravel riding. That's my current love. I love getting off road and just being out in nature. But those three big events like Iowa, New York and Mallorca are um, big on the list this year. Those are huge. Yeah. Well, I will hopefully be one of the first people to welcome you to the great state of Iowa because um, I will be doing that ride as well. Awesome. I can't wait to like meet in person yeah. and ride together. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. It will be. Yes. Well, uh, the website again is michaelobrienshift.com, which we'll put in the show notes. And Michael, I appreciate you sharing your story and Um, giving us a little bit of calmness in what could have been a crazy uh, change in your life. Thank you so much. It was so great to be on. And yeah, for me, like a really horrific day that day of my accident, but I would not want to reverse time. You know, it, it really did shape my life in so many powerful ways. And now, what I like to do is share my story with people in, in hopes that it will inspire them through a bad moment or two to keep pedaling and put out a good ripple out into the world. So, again, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, listeners, that's it for this week. Email me at morphologypodcast at gmail.com if you have a topic or the name of a cyclist you find interesting. Support my podcast at patreon.com slash morphology and visit both my Facebook and Instagram pages for daily entertainment. I have more great episodes in the pipeline, so I hope you continue to be a Morphology Podcast listener. 